Some turn up the noses at the industrial ways in which we produce most of our dairy products. And they say, the cow is killing the earth. But this leads us to ask, can the cow save the earth? Welcome to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with your host, Michael Olson. And now, get ready for one hour of What's Eating What Radio. Well, hello out there. You are tuned into the 1324th edition of the Food Chain Radio Show. Or hey, perhaps you're among our friends over there in Ez who are tuned into the Food Chain Podcast at MetroFarm.com. Well, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome aboard. I am Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What. Folks, my attention was recently directed to an environmental organization in Texas that was helping farmers transition their farms from raising cows to raising plants. Other than the fact that the organizers were working over farms in Texas, their efforts seemed to be in keeping with the times. As the cow has become public enemy number one, the environmental organizers say we must get rid of the cow to save the earth from climate change and global warming. That sounds like a very serious business, and saving the earth is a very noble thing to do. So I began looking into focusing on their effort to get rid of the cow on the Food Chain Radio Show here. But then my attention was redirected to a dairy farm in California by Maggie B., who is a listener to the show. Michael, she said, please feature Alexander Family Farms. They produce a regenerative dairy products, and, and I absolutely love their A2, A2 milk. Maggie B.'s enthusiasm was not to be denied. And so today we ask, can the cow save the earth? So let's ask Blake and Stephanie Alexandre of Alexandre Farms in Crescent City. That's uh, Alexander with a D-R-E instead of a D-E-R. So, Blake and Stephanie, welcome to the food chain. Well, thank you for having thank us, you. Michael. So, first, before we go anywhere, a big congratulations. A very auspicious morning for the two of you. Why is that, Stephanie? Our daughter, Vanessa, and her husband, Justin, had a baby this morning, a little girl named Jora, and at 5 o'clock. So, five. we were elated. <laughs> So a wonderful pick-me-up to the day, don't you think? My yes, goodness yes. sakes. And I'll bet that baby is as healthy as possibly can be, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. she is. With all the wonderful foods we have access to just on our farm, she is. You know, um, I, I don't, do you know of the Weston A. Price Foundation by any chance? <laughs> Absolutely. learned about us in, in 2003, and I was a chapter leader for several years. Okay, good. And um, Sally is always talking about fats and fertility. Absolutely. And, and there you are, a good example of it. My goodness sakes. Well, let's start off. Um, why do you two think that the cow has become public enemy number one? Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you opening up and, and, and opening up that big can of worms uh, right up front. I, I, I think that the cows are absolutely getting a bad rap. Um, you know, our, our cows live on pasture and they eat grasses and forages all year long. And, and so they really are a plant-based uh, um, system that, that uh, is helping sequester carbon and, and, 
and you know when managed correctly uh you know the, the cows are the biggest and best tool we've got in terms of sequestering carbon globally and, and, and uh, helping out with greenhouse gases. I, I think that they get their bad rap from this methane story that keeps floating around that, um, you know, they're, they're just really contributing to greenhouse gas, uh, you know, in a negative way. And, and I guess I would like to debunk that slightly with information coming from Davis, California, where we, we understand it. Uh, methane has a, a shelf life or a half life of about 10 years. And so whatever we're putting into the environment is leaving uh, 10 years later. And we are not adding cows to our system here in the United States. There's about 100 million total livestock. And, and uh, that number has been quite constant. It's actually down this year from last year. And, and, uh, and we've had, you know, about that many bison and horses that roamed for a long, long time. So, mm-hmm. And it was really the bison that helped make the the great greasy grass of the prairies too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're part of the ecosystem that you know needs to be honored and and uh, respected and and truly managed. Uh, we can't just let grasses grow and turn brown and and oxidize and and release carbon into the air. We need to you know run them through a biological creature and and cattle are the perfect tool for that. Stephanie, do you think that the industrial ways in which we raise cattle and cows these days uh, has provided the environmental community with a convenient foil? It's I'm sorry, somebody came in the house and totally distracted me. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, it happens. So the question was, uh, Stephanie, do you think the ways in which industrial agriculture um, has industrialized the process of raising cows and cattle uh, has provided the environmental community with a convenient foil, something to hold up and say the cow is bad and we must get rid of the cow? It it has, and and people are planting their fingers at the wrong direction. It's not the cow, it's the how. And it's so important to know um, where your food comes from and, and how the cows are raised. And most livestock people today, they care about their cows. And if um, they were doing wrong to them, it wouldn't be beneficial for their business at all. Um, but you got to look at how, how the cows are being raised. Well, speaking of the how, how does the Alexandra family farms raise their, your cows? Would take a, Stephanie, start, start us off with a walk around the farm. Tell us what we see. I am looking at cows in the distance out on the pasture. and They're in paddocks, which is little fields, and we rotationally graze them um, through the pastures. Every 12 hours, they get new grass that's allocated for their feeding, and then we move them to the next grass or pastures, and we're mimicking nature. We're mimicking the way the buffalo used to roam in the olden days and the way the wildlife roamed through pastures for new grass. They always get the best grass that's ready to harvest. And when um, we look at the grasses, we just see the beautiful different grasses. It's not just one single monospecies out there. There's many herbs and forbs and deep tap roots and then also in the distance, of course, it's a foggy day because we're on the coast. Our weather is really cool all year long. And we um, get that climate that the cows just do so well outside most of the year. We can graze at least 300 days a year. We bring them inside when it's um, 
really rainy because we want to protect our pastures, and we have the facilities to keep them indoors in those rainy seasons. But also we see the riparian zones, um, the trees that line the riparian zones. I see birds flying. I see a lot of swallows hunting uh, just above the grasses so that they can get the bugs. It's just a beautiful ecosystem out here. Well, Blake, I once had the opportunity to spend a weekend with Joel and Teresa Salatin at Polyface Farms, and mm-hmm. Joel took me out to his his pasture, and we were standing at the fence line. There's a light rain falling, and uh, Joel's pasture grass was a blue green. It was it shined <laughs> and it it stood up in the rain, and right across the fence, um, the neighbor's grass was gray grayish brown and laying flat on the ground mm-hmm. and i got to thinking well i know which <laughs> which food i want to eat or which grass <laughs> i want to eat it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure this out but the question that stuck in my mind why wasn't the neighbor doing the same thing joel salatin was doing and you are doing why why not other people why why just you yeah, I, I fully understand that question, and, and that one boggles my mind all the time. And, uh, you know, you're never a prophet in your own neighborhood, and, and so I think there's some truth to that. And, and neighbors, uh, you know, don't don't see the, the whole picture and, and don't notice, and, and um, you know, they don't, they don't always bother to ask, hey, how can I turn my field green? But we recently had a neighbor that called us. In fact, he called our daughter, the new mother, that, and asked her, you know, uh, would you guys take over my land here and make it green like yours? And so, so you know, there's there's hope. Things happen, and um, we have certainly seen that exact feeling that you're talking about that you saw at Joel's place, um, where where you know we've got earthworms in in our soil, and I crawl under the fence and check the neighbors, and I can't find earthworms, and so it's real. It's real. Well, Maggie Maggie B was most insistent. Yeah that I ask you about regenerative farming. Well, what on earth? Stephanie, let's start with you. What does that mean? Regenerative farming is to us to regenerate, to make new, to make better. It is honoring the system that God gave us, honoring the biology and the soil. Um, We're growing organic matter. We're um, sequestering carbon. It's just making it better. There's so much life under the ground, and we want to do no harm to it and, and protect that system and feed that system with live live things that keep that life flourishing. I could go on and on about regenerative, <laughs> but I know Blake even has better definitions. Well, sure. let, me, let me ask Blake. Um, in driving about California, sometimes we have an occasion to go down Interstate 5 or 99, right. and we see the industrial dairy farms and they seem to be the exactly op- exact opposite of what regenerative might mean yes it, it, it certainly appears that stephanie and i made that drive on both those roads two weeks ago to la and um yeah it's uh i think it's um there's we, no grass the, there's no grass yeah yeah let me just say, I guess on behalf of all farmers, right, I, I think okay. that we've been taught for the last oh, six, seven, eight, nine decades that, uh, you know, high-yield industrial agriculture is, is the way, that's the future, that's how you get yields and profits. And and so, you know, universities have taught that. <clears throat> and so I believe that we here at Alexander Family Farm is, you know, somewhat swimming upstream now for 
25, 30 years, um, you know, trying to find a better path that is in harmony with nature and, and literally honoring God's system that's in the soil and all the biology and the way plants grow and respond to good management and proper, um, I guess, just proper inputs. And of course, being organic was this, the beginning of that, and, and uh, building organic matter was the focus. And as we build organic matter in our soils, we're, we realize that, wow, 56, 57% of that is carbon. So we're actually, you know, kind of doing the earth a favor and sequestering carbon in in the form of humates and humus that is a, a stable, you know, part of the soil. And we're building soil, like Stephanie said. I I, I always tell people, you know, I think of our farm as getting a, an inch taller every decade. <laughs> Instead of an inch shorter. Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah the other the other thing I just wanted to throw in, I, I, I'd heard your comments earlier on, on, on another one of your shows about how you walk in your backyard and you see the, 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 the pollinators and the birds. And, uh, you know, we experience the exact same thing here in our backyard Um it's just that our backyard happens to be thousands of acres as well. And so, you know, life flourishes here on our farm, and it's, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, there's a lot more wildlife life than there is, uh, you know, the, the animals, the, the cows and the chickens that we're, you know, really managing for food production. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen, a good start to a great show about life on the farm. And can the cow save the earth instead of destroy it? Big question. It's the war that we're fighting right now. And today we're fighting it with a Blake and Stephanie Alexander of Alexandra Family Farms in Crescent City. And you, when we come back, I want to ask uh, Stephanie and Blake how they came to be such rebels in the fields mm-hmm. of agriculture. Right, right back. Do stay tuned. And now, more of What's Eating What on the Food Chain with Michael Olson. Well, I guess I'm a bit of a contrarian. And so um, I've always, you know, when when people talk about uh, how you have to get big to get out or get out in agriculture, how how you have to plant fence post to fence post, how you have to buy out the neighbor's farm and grow thousands of acres of soybeans and corn, I just head the other way. Uh, Stephanie and Blake, why did you head the other way with your dairy farm? Stephanie, we'll start with you. It started about um, 25 years ago when we were on a drive up to Tillamook, Oregon. And just seeing all the pasture grasses. And at the time, we were conventional doing everything high-yield agriculture had taught us to do. But we also knew we wanted to create a farm, a business, a viable business for our kids to want to come home to, to want to marry a spouse and then someday be a part of our business. And at that time, um, Clover And, and by the way, <laughs> <laughs> it happened this morning. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, yes. at that time, Clover Stornetto was looking for organic milk. And so we decided to transition to organic in the late 90s. And we were one of their first organic dairy farms. And But one of it was, how do you become an organic dairy farmer? How do you raise these calves organically when you were using all these tools that are not allowed today in organic practices? And we went to a group called Acres USA, 
in um, the Midwest, and we started learning and learned about Weston A. Price Foundation in 2003 and learned just how to be those natural organic farmers. We learned so much. We came home with a suitcase full of books. And I loved that the keynote speaker at the end of the conference was a doctor making a difference in people's lives, teaching us to go to the farm instead of the pharmacy for your health. And Blake, at that same time, learned from Gary Zimmer, an author who wrote a book, The Biological Farmer. And he, who's an excellent cowman, Blake is, became this soil and grass enthusiast. And we really just found so much purpose in what we were doing, and it became a focus and a drive. Never, we never thought of ourselves as rebels or anything. We just wanted to create a viable op- option. And when we live in an area right on the ocean and we can be grass farmers so well here, it's so conducive to be an organic farmer. And slowly our neighbors did the same. They watched us and, and um, two hours south of where we live in the town of Ferndale where our son manages our dairy down there. Um, our, those neighbors are all organic today. But, yes, we were early to it and so happy we did. Blake? Take us from organic to regenerative. Sure. Um, I mentioned earlier we were focusing on organic matter in the soil and, and, and truly building that, uh, that spongy part of the soil so that we could increase our water holding capacity. And we've, we've certainly done that in the last 30 years here on the farm where, where this land right to, to our south of our, our house here is uh, used to be irrigated every 10 days. Now it's irrigated more like every 30 days. And and that's because we built the organic matter up from 2 or 3% uh, to, you know, somewhere in, in the neighborhood of 8 to 15 is where, where our ranch is coming in now. And that for every percentage point that we increase, there's, there's a, a water holding capacity, like 20,000 gallons per acre. And so it just buys you a lot of time and productivity and, and health, and it's a, it's a wonderful process. So we were always focused on that, and then along came a couple of groups that were certifying regenerative farms, and they were really looking for pilot farms in the world, and we, we signed up for both, and so we were a pilot farm. Our, our, our daughter, Vanessa, the new mother today, was uh, the one that kind of uh, led that charge for us for so, about three So you've years. got a whole family of hooligans now, don't you? <laughs> we sure do, yes, yeah. We, uh, we're, uh, yeah, our, our kids grew up organic, and, and, and now they're growing up regenerative. And so, uh, yeah, it's, well, it's really well, cool. Okay, Stephanie, tell us about rotational grazing. The cows go into a pasture that's set up for the amount of feed they need to eat within a 12-hour period. Then we have polywire. It's a wire, and it's set up for several feedings in advance by a key person. And then every time the cows come back from the road from the milk barn, we um, give them more grass, and then we let the grass rest behind it. So ideally, this time of year, they're eating the grass, and they move to another pasture, and you let the grass rest so it can have regrowth. And I love the illustration. If you can see tall grass in your mind, under that um, soil plane in the root system, it goes really deep. And as the cow eats that grass, that root below some of it dies off and it's carbohydrates for all the microbes in the soil and it feeds the soil. And then um, that pulsing of that root system growing and being harvested and then dying off, it it leaves air pockets in the soil. And that's what's building that organic matter. That's what's doing the life. So rotational grazing is an excellent tool for managing pastures. 
And there's so much more education out on how to do it yeah. correctly now. Blake, when I was uh, visiting Polyface, I watched as mm -hmm. Joel turned his cows from one paddock to the next. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lead steer, I watched as the lead steer skipped his way into the paddock. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, he had a big grin on his face. Yes, he was now, happy. Was yeah. I seeing something? Mm -hmm. Uh, no, no, I, I knew that's where you were going with that because it's 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 just very clear that the cattle are happy to see Joel walk over and open a gate, and you know they know and understand that wow they've got fresh grass to eat. Much like Stephanie was just explaining, and that fresh grass is is clean and healthy and and alive. They eat it, and of course they're peeing and pooping on it while they do that, which is fertilizing the, the next crop. And then they want to leave that field or that pasture, you know, in a day or two or three when they're done. And there's all kinds of things in that pasture and not just grass, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the the, the regenerative, um, it's a new word that came along here in the last 10 years, I think, to to summarize and tell a very ancient old story that is actually biblical. It's it, 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 it's about a an ecosystem and understanding that ecosystem, which is the biology in the soil, and, and that, that's the bacteria and fungi and protozoa and, and nematodes and little earthworms, microanthropods, the things that live there, and how us as farmers and, and as we steward our land, we're really stewarding the, those livestock that are living below the soil. And once we understand that and we do no harm to them, then they... They start to perform better, and then and grass and plants grow better. And so it's just a it's a wonderful old school system that uh, we kind of you know in our arrogant way here in the last you know lots of decades ha have ignored. Good, Stephanie. How do chickens fit into this scenario of rotational grazing? The chick we have chickens. We um, and those chickens are out on um, portable in portable chicken coops and they're out on grass 365 days a year and they are scratching the grass they are eating the grass and they're scratching looking for bugs and worms and anything they can grab a hold of and boy do they eat a lot of grass so they are rotating through our pastures as well um, we have electric fences around them to protect them from predators and then when the cat they get the grass gets too tall around them. We do bring um, groups of cows in there to graze it down because when that grass gets tall, they want to hunt, lay their eggs into the grass and hide in there. And we want their <laughs> eggs to go into the chicken coop. Right. So we have some realism with it too. And so it's beautiful to see the chickens with the cows. And, and um, we also don't want the chickens scratching and digging up in the fresh manure. So that's another reason we keep the poly wire around so that the cows aren't doing that because that might be a concern for um, customers but we love having chickens and cows together so in the with respect to the notion of regenerative agriculture what you have here is a situation in which cows which livestock are bringing life back to to the uh to the soil and into the crops and to the earth and to, to people and everything you know dr temple grandin uh, when I, I hosted her on a radio show, mm -hmm. she, she, she said that she pointed to the Bible and said the Bible tells us to take 
dominion over over the animals. And it seems like that's exactly what you're doing, uh, taking dominion over the animals so as to benefit everything. That, that's absolutely correct. That uh, you know, the Bible literally says dominion over five things: the you know, the birds, the fish, the the cattle, the creepy crawlers, and the earth, which is the soil. And, and so, we we have a responsibility to help manage you know the environments that affect all those things. And and of course, dominion means that you know we 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 also have the the ability to manage uh, you know the the actual animals and, and um and use them according to you know food for people and and, and growing and uh, and creating a healthy environment and a healthy ecosystem mm-hmm. all at the same time stephanie dr grandin said that um dominion means that you don't own them it means that you're responsible for them yes exactly it's like raising children in, in our mind they belong to god we're responsible for for them we're their caretakers and the same with the animals we are their caretakers we are the stewards of the land and yes we agree with temple grand and what she's saying i love it in the bible the verse about in psalms about the green grass and i looked in my concordance in the bible and in it it said green grass where life flourishes and it was one of those i just wanted to circle that part with my, my sharpie that that's what we are stewarding that green grass so that we can take care of our animals with it when you when you become stewards of the soil uh, and the soil becomes stewards of the grass and the grass becomes stewards of your your livestock mm-hmm. does that change the nutritional qualities of your food that you produce on your farm yeah, absolutely so so when, when stephanie's speaking there the 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 end goal for us is nutrition for people and bringing the most nutrient dense food and the healthiest food to people our consumers and so the only way we're going to make the healthiest milk meat and eggs is by managing the soil appropriately and and and, and the more we learn and understand it just makes sense and then our our ecology flourishes, you know, so the 250 species of birds that live on our farm, they all benefit from from the fact that we've set the goal to bring the most nutritious food we can to the public. To bring the most most life we can to the, to yes. the farm. Yeah. And, yep. and, well, Stephanie, if there's life on the farm, is there life in your food? Absolutely. It is um, very life-giving, life-flourishing very nutrient dense and i'm hearing people talk about what do you eat what does your food eat what does your food food eat you know it all yeah. comes down to that soil and we're building that life in it well so, maggie b when she took me by the collar and said shook me <laughs> you have to do this she pointed to something called a2 a2 milk now, um, having milked a lot of cows when I was a kid, <laughs> I've never heard of A2, A2 milk. Blake? Yeah, yeah, we uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and kudos to Maggie B. So thank you for, for all your listeners that, you know, are, are playing with their A game every day. Um, so 
The A2 gene, it, it was kind of developed and understood in the early 2000s in, in the University of New Zealand. Both of our daughters studied there for about five, six months on an exchange program. We had learned about the A2 uh, situation from a book that was written in 07. So by 08, we had, we had read it, and it made so much sense to us. It just really resonated with what we understood, and it, it explained why. A lot of people can drink goat's milk, but they couldn't drink cow's milk and things like that. And well, tell so, us, tell us what an A two yeah. is. Yeah, so so A two simply means that uh, each cow uh, that we're putting in our bottle, the milk that we're selling, um, those cows inherited an A two gene from both of their parents, and and sometimes there's a mutated gene in the in the cattle world, um, kind of worldwide that may have happened, you know, a thousand years ago or more, there's a mutated gene, and that's called, referred to as the A1 gene, which is much less digestible, and it's a simple little amino acid that's out of place. There's a histidine where there was supposed to be a proline, and uh, it causes all, all kinds of issues, uh, health issues for a lot of people, and they, they believe they're dairy intolerant, and then they, they call themselves lactose intolerant because that's a, a common term. But it's really the protein that they're having issues with, not the not the uh, sugar in milk. Well, um, goodness, Stephanie, does that uh, have an impact on on people in their milk drinking? It does. So all mammal milk is A two. It's just like Blake talked about this mutation that happened. So we're talking about the beta, beta casein protein, the protein in milk. So when people drink dairy, if it's regular dairy on the grocery store shelf and it's not A2, oftentimes they get that phlegm in their milk, their mouth from the milk. And to me, that might be the protein being the wrong kind of protein in their body saying, oh, this is, I'm going to react to this. I'm going to try and expel it. Then they digest it and you have this casein that's not breaking apart, this protein amino acid chain that doesn't break apart in the belly. So then it sits there, and then the lactose in your body ferments. And people think, oh, I'm lactose intolerant. I can't do dairy. But then they try our dairy, and they can digest it just fine. So it really wasn't the lactose they were sensitive to, the milk sugar. They were sensitive to the protein, the foreign protein in the milk. And now you have this foreign protein floating all around the body. So then people get autoimmune diseases, and doctors say get off gluten. Gluten's a protein. Get off um, dairy. Um, you're sensitive to it, so it must be one yeah, of those stop things. Stop eating auto- foods. If you just stop eating foods <laughs> and know. quit breathing the air, you'll be just fine. fine. Folks, this is the Food Chain Radio Program. Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What with Blake and Stephanie Alexandre, Alexandre Family Farms. When we come back, how did they get rid of that bad gene? Do stay tuned. So much to say, so little time to say it on the food chain with Michael Olson. Well, we are back. And you know what? We, there is so much to talk about and so little time to talk about it in. I just don't know where to go. But first thing I want to know is how the heck you got rid of that bad gene <laughs> in the milk, Blake? Sure. So so it started with a, a DNA testing of all of our animals and uh Back when we started um, in 08, 09, we had to send those samples all the way to New Zealand. And now there's a, a few labs in the United States that do that work for us. But 
it was literally a hair follicle and, and learning what, what animals were, which ones, and then focusing on those. And as we buy semen that comes in from the bulls from all over the world, we, we only buy uh, semen that, from bulls that, uh, that uh, you know, receive the A2A2 genes from their parents. And uh, it just, it's a long, slow process because, you know, we've got A1 cows that, uh, that live for 10 years and may have had a, a female calf that's also in our herd. And so what we have done is we, we milk in multiple milk barns. And so we just uh, group the cows accordingly and, and all the uh, A2 cows are, you know, in one spot. Wow. There you go. I just recently hosted a gal who breeds queen bees. Mm-hmm. For pretty much the same reason you're breeding right. your cows, building a better herd. Um, Stephanie, would you take us a, on a rundown of all of the things, the products, the dairy products you produce on your farm there? Yes, we have a 6% better fat um, whole milk. Ooh. So we came out with something higher and better mm-hmm. fat. Because Ooh, that as sounds I learned so with- good. It is with Weston A. Price. The goodness is in the fat, especially if it's coming off um, cows eating green grass. grass. Yeah. And um, we wanted to be that dairy disruptor, and we also wanted to call out that, hey, families, drink this. It's better for your brain. It's better for your gut. And um, so that's our 6% milk. One of our farms is 100% grass-fed, where we don't feed any grain to that farm. And um, that's our grass milk. We also have some chocolate, vanilla, and ginger turmeric, so flavored milk. We start to try to do less sugar in it, so the goodness is in the whole milk. We use a 4% in those flavors milk, so we don't need a lot of sugar. The goodness is that milk. And then um, we also have yogurts, a vanilla, a plain 6%, and then also 100% grass-fed. And then a lot of the products I talked about, the bottled milk, are on the West Coast. And then nationally, we have... Um, extended shelf life milk that can travel the roads and and be across the nation and that's a four percent again higher butter fat because nationally butter fat is 3.25 and the flavor is amazing but also what's amazing about our milk is because we use heritage type breeds old-fashioned breeds from other countries it's higher in protein so people drink our milk and they're like wowed if they're from another country and they're like wow that's the milk i grew up on in yugoslavia and so um, our milk definitely um, is a reason to come back to dairy, but then you stay with it because it tastes amazing. Well, now, how do you go about marketing a product that is so different than <laughs> than the conventional uh, dairy products? Uh, you go by the dairy case in the supermarket, super low-fat milk here. Uh, you're just the opposite. How do you yeah, go about it's... marketing yourselves? Telling the story, you know, one consumer at a time. I, I, I've just been here thinking as Stephanie was answering these last couple of questions that, uh, you know, we've got this perfect situation today. Uh, our daughter, Vanessa, had a new little baby girl, and, and that little baby girl is drinking breast milk today for the very first time, and it is A2A2 because that's the way God intended it. And, and so once babies are on that that super healthy, natural milk, you know, we wanted to be an alternative so that when, when mama wants to switch them over to either cow's milk or something else, that, that they have the best option available. And, of course, that should be A2A2 milk. 
and, and that wasn't available. So we now are working with infant formula companies that are, are working that into, you know, products that are available so that, you know, across the country people can buy this, the, the, the right product. Yeah, I think so. Um, now we come to the big question is that how are we going to survive the environmental movement that wants to get rid of all the cows because they're destroying the earth? Stephanie? We welcome visitors, all kinds of visitors, and we want to tell our story. And once visitors come here, they want to tell it too. And so we invite the extreme environmentalists. We um, have gotten to know people that used to be vegetarian, that used to be vegan, and that are coming back to animal products. Um, we got to be out there because what processed foods is doing is hurting the brains. When I look at a schoolyard and see children that aren't healthy like they used to be, um, they, they just don't have the thinking clarity that they used to have when um, we were growing up or, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And we want to be in the forefront on where good food should come from. And it's a reason to come back to real dairy, but it's also a reason to come back to animal-based products. It's a reason to eat beef again, eat pork. And, and it's the environment that they're raised on. So bring them out here and talk to us. See our farm. <laughs> okay. We welcome them all. Um, yeah. And you have a pretty good website to help people see but Blake, there is another reason that the, uh, a lot of people do not want to see um, animals on the farm, and that is because of uh, the cruelty. You're, you're cruel to animals, mm-hmm. are you not? <laughs> well, that's certainly the perception out there, and, and um, I, I would say it like this. Uh, truth is patient, and the truth will come out eventually. Um, there are certainly abuses of animals and and, and uh, you know farming systems in different different regions of the country and, and probably around the world. But I, I believe that if we continue to just <clears throat> somewhat follow, um, you know, I, I would say God's example, the 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 example of of healthy uh, ecosystems and, and that basic understanding. You know, there's a role in there for cattle. And we, we as owners of the cattle in, in, in the in the farming sense, you know, we want to take great care of them. We want them to be well fed and healthy and and prosperous because you know we've got bills to pay. Um, you know, so that's one motivation. But we also want to do the right thing at every turn, and, and, and give those animals you know the, the best life we possibly can. And, and so that's what we're doing here on the farm. That's why you know we're inviting you out. Um, but, but I believe there's a lot of farms like us. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the movement is growing in our direction is what I'm trying to say. And, and I think that, you know, consumers uh, who can vote with their dollars every day and seek out organic and certified regenerative and different products, uh, you know, that will help, uh, I'd say, uh, this movement grow. It's kind of like we can save the earth by saving ourselves by eating right. the right kind of foods from the right yep. kind of environments. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, but do you think that's enough to turn around those who are engaged in a holy war to save the earth from this and that? 
Yeah, we, we meet with those folks. We, you know, I, I've crossed paths. I, I've been on a group in a meeting with Temple Grandin and, and the founders of Farm Sanctuary and, and PETA and, you know, worked with them in the same room for three days. And this is going back 18 years ago. And, and so, yeah, I, I absolutely know that we can work together and, and we still are and we still do. Um, it's just that the industry, you know, we've still got the huge box stores that are, you know, pushing cheap, 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 and, and, and cheap food is, is a, a very shortcut. It, it's expensive in the long run because it costs the environment a lot. That's, that's so like think, Michael Olson's third law of the food chain. Cheap <laughs> yeah. food isn't. You're right. It, it, it's not. It, it's ultimately more expensive in health care and, 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 and expensive in the environment. And so, again, truth is patient. What we're preaching here is, is, is truth. And, and literally doing the right thing at every turn with regards to our animals and the environment and our consumers. And I will add to what Blake just said, that when those conversations are opened up, we're not fighting with them. We're trying to find common ground. And our common ground is we love the earth. We love what the earth gives us. And if we can show them what we do to love the earth and that it, and the cattle are part of that solution then we have found that common ground, um, and maybe they'll listen to our mind and hearts on what we are doing and how we're doing it. Well, a, a good flip side to that might be, this is what we do to steward the earth. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, might be a good, a good question to ask sometime. Um, uh, so a very significant one. Certified humane. Um, people are really concerned about animals. It seems to me like the Humane Society of the United States is trying to get rid of all the animals by by enforcing some kind of humane uh, doctrine on the world, making it um, so inhumane to raise an animal that uh, it, it just can't be done. Am I seeing this wrong, or or what do you think? We don't see it from that perspective at all. We, um, we have um, people come over and inspect our, our farms and go through our protocols and our employee training, and we think that they just raise the bar every time and hold you accountable, hold farmers accountable to doing what's right for the animals. Do they have access to water all the time? Just the obvious stuff that is important to a farmer, but who knows what somebody might be doing wrong and they're there to make sure it's doing right, done right for the animals. And so I never look at an organization that they're trying to shut us down or, or do something wrong. They just want to protect the animals. So if we're doing it right, there's nothing to fear. Well, yeah, and go ahead, Blake. I, I would also, I, I would just add that, that um, you know, in the process of stewarding uh, the animals and, and doing the right thing, um, you know, it's, 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 I think that what's happened in our society is, is folks have tried to humanize all animals and and treat them like little humans. And, and it's just that's incorrect. That's not natural. It, it doesn't fit. And, and sure, it, it can once in a while with a, you know, a pant that lives in the house and a little bit of that. But, but humanizing our, our, our cows where they're herding animals, um, where they like to be part of the herd, um, you know, our, our dairy cattle have no problem walking away from their newborn calf and rejoining the herd. It, it's it's kind of crazy to say and to see, but we see it every day. 
and and that's basically you know the 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 natural process for them is to be a big part a member of a big herd and um you know sometimes there's room in, in that big herd for their little calf and and in a situation where we're grazing these cows it it doesn't always make sense and so we're we're you know hand feeding the calf for a few months and uh and then getting them into their group housing and herds as early as we can Stephanie we we're having we're observing a food chain that's undergoing a massive transform, transformation. It seems to me it's falling apart everywhere we look and being tran, trying to be transformed into something else. And one of the major trends we see are the billionaires who are backing the, you know, get rid of the cow business in favor of their patented uh, plant pretend meats. Um, and so I'm just wondering how many impossible burgers you might have in your freezer. I have never tried any of them. I fear them. I, I just, I mean, and this is off the wall. I just can't. I, I, I feel that this kind of food is really dumbing people down and just making them not healthy anymore. And what are we doing to our planet or at least America if we're feeding people food that's born in a factory in a lab, the processed food, that is not good for your brain. And I don't, I, we're seeing the ramifications of people not thinking clearly um, and just the revolting about everything. And no, it's not in my freezer at all. <laughs> so, Blake, it, it seems like the only um, group, interest group, that can pull us out of this industrial quagmire are the people who buy food. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the power is in the consumers. So um, it's a, it's a battle for the mind of the marketplace, and you have billionaire oligarchs up there who've who've yep. got big money in their trademark pretend meats, saying that the cow has to go. Um, how are you going to stand up against those big billionaire boys and girls? Yeah, I, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I believe, you know, truth is on our side and, and, you know, we're honoring a system that is, uh, is solid and, and, and sound. And, you know, we're not, you know, like Stephanie says, de developing these petroleum type based foodstuffs and pretending that they're all plant and healthy. Um, you know, I, I think those, those stories, we've got, you know, kids that were raised on these, you know, fake milks and fake meats that, that aren't performing well, and, and parents are coming around. We see that all the time, but we at Alexander Family Farm don't have a, a marketing budget to, to really make a huge difference, so we have to do it one mouthful at a time, and and that's either us speaking the, the truth or people tasting our products and understanding and inherently knowing that it's better. Um, but that we are up against a huge industry that is market driven with, with propaganda and, and marketing dollars where, you know, they're not necessarily always looking to make a profit. They well, just want that to keep said, building more and more. Yeah, that said, Blake and Stephanie Alexander, I think you're going to win because <laughs> um, I think I know what I want to eat right. and you have it. This has been the yeah. food chain, Michael Olson, uh, your host, Blake and Stephanie Alexandre from Alexandre Family Farms in Crescent City, California. Question of the day, can the cow be made to save the earth?
You've been listening to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with Michael Olson. And if your friends miss the show, tell them to log on the Food Chain page at MetroFarm.com for a listen. Now, go out and find some food with its farmer's face on it and live. <laughs>